So in Luke chapter 4, it tells us that one day Jesus is in his hometown. His hometown, everybody knows him. It's just a small little community called Capernaum. He's in his hometown, and he's at the synagogue or the temple, and he's uh, preaching a sermon. And this is early on in his ministry. And this sermon that he preached uh, went over so poorly, it was so unpopular, it was so offensive, that um, it created a riot, and it nearly cost him his life. Here's what Luke tells us happened in Luke chapter 4. He said, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, when they heard what Jesus taught, his sermon. So they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Now, I preach some bad sermons, but this makes me feel better. You've not tried that yet, so, so thank you so much. Um, and by the way, if you don't know much about the Bible, I'll... I'll ease your concerns. Um, he made it. Jesus made it. They didn't throw him off the cliff, okay? But, but here's the thing. As I was getting ready for this series, uh, I actually told uh, one of our staff members, I was talking it through with them, I told them what we were going to talk about, and uh, they looked back at me, and very kindly they said, are you sure you want to start the year with that? Um, which I was like, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. This, th- as I was getting ready for it, I thought this might be my Luke 4 moment. Like, hopefully you're not going to put me up on the catwalk and throw me off. But uh, this may be one of those where by the end of this, there are like six of us still here. Because what we're going to talk about is not popular at all. And it's so hard to look in the mirror and see. And none of us want to deal with it. And we, we get our defenses up. And we build our walls the minute we talk about it. But I'm going to tackle it anyway. And I'm going to tackle it right here at the beginning of the year. And the reason is because I care about you. And specifically... I care about the life you lead. I I care about the legacy that you're going to leave. And what we're going to talk about has such a profound impact on both of those things. I care about your relationships, and I care about, you know, your family dynamics. And I'm telling you, you don't see it now, but what we're going to talk about is impacting your family dynamics in an extraordinary way. It's impacting your friendships way more than you could possibly imagine. And what we're going to talk about is impacting your faith. I'm telling you, there are, some, there are some things that you will never know about God. And there are some ways in which you will never know God until you figure this one component of your life out. Not only that, there are some, there are some things that you will never experience God do in and through you until you figure this one component of your life out. Some of you, if I ask you, okay, tell me a time when it was just so evident, like there was no other explanation, you just knew God was at work and God was doing something in your life, God answered a prayer, God showed up in a way, and it was like, okay, that couldn't have been coincidence. If I asked some of you that, tell me about an answered prayer like that, you'd have to think for a while, you wouldn't have, maybe you'd have one example, maybe you couldn't think of anything, maybe it'd been a long time, and I'm telling you. It's because you hadn't figured out this area of your life. God seems to show up and reveal himself to us and do some things through us. When we get this area right, it's different than anything else. That's been my experience over the years. But at the same time, I'll just tell you this. I've been trying to practice this and figure this out for most of my life. And to, to get this one component of your life right, It requires so much bravery, it requires so much trust, it requires so much courage, it is so, so difficult, and I'm just going to tell you up front why. Because when you begin to deal with this, when you begin to deal with this, there are some things that lurk in the recesses and the crevices of your heart, they're hiding in the dark, you don't even realize they're there, every now and then they poke their head out and you just shove it back in, you don't want to deal with it or acknowledge it or, you know, admit it, but there are some things in the recesses of your heart that if you start getting this area of your life in line with what God says, if you start practicing some of the principles we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, it will drag all of that stuff into the light and it just gets ugly. 
And it, it's just difficult. We don't want to look in the mirror and own it. I'm telling you, it'll drag stuff out like fear and anxiety and stress and worry. It'll drag stuff out like materialism, discontentment, pride, insecurity, selfish, you know, unhealthy ambition, selfishness. There is so much stuff that's, that tends to hide in our hearts that when you start messing with this one area, all of it gets dragged out because this one area I'm going to talk to you about, it is, it is so spiritual, it is so relational, and it is so personal. It reaches out and impacts every single facet of your life. So it's not something that's really easy to talk about, and it is certainly not something anybody really wants to hear, which is why my buddy said, are you sure you want to talk about this to start the year? But, and I, I get it, because if you were an average group of people, then you'd just be like, no, I'm good here, I'm going to check out. But I don't think you're average. I think you want to be able to figure this out. I think you want to be better at life in 2018 than you were in 2017. And I'm telling you, this is going to be a big part of it. So everybody's got to put the big boy and big girl pants on, okay? Got to figure out how to be honest with yourself and not, you know, get mad at me because I'm meddling with your business when really you just want to, don't want to deal with your own business. So everybody's ready for this. Here's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. How to be generous. How to be generous. Now, let me just you know, kind of give you a couple of disclaimers real quickly. One is, there is no ulterior motive here. If you grew up in a church where the only time the pastor ever talked about money is when he was about to ask for money, there is no ask here, okay? So we're not going to get to the end of the series and it's like, oh, big offering now. We're not doing any of that. Everything's business as usual. You know, we already took up the offering today. I'm not trying to get any money out of you, okay? So that's not it. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. What I want you to do is I want you to learn how to be generous. Now, let me just clarify, because you're sitting there, you're like me. We're all this way, okay? You can admit this. We're all this way. You're sitting there going, well, I don't even need this series. I'm already generous. I know you are. You're like, some of you guys are like, hey, hey, I'm, I don't have to come back till the end of the month, honey. Did you hear that? Like, we're, you know, I get it. I get it. But I'm telling you, our data, our data, I don't mean for this to be offensive. This is just reality. Our data shows that most of you are not generous. You're not. That doesn't mean you're not giving, but this is my point. There's a big difference between being generous and doing generous things. There's a big difference between being generous and giving, okay? There's a huge difference between the two, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But most of you, most of you have never, and I don't think it's because you don't want to be. I just think it's because you've never been taught how to be generous. But my guess is you want to be. You want to be a person that's generous. You think of yourself as a generous person. I'll explain in a minute why maybe that's not true just yet. But I bet you've never been taught what it really looks like to the core of your being to be generous. I also think, for those of you who call this your church home, I think you want us to be a generous church. Matter of fact, you probably argue we are a generous church. We're not quite as good as you think we are, but we can get there because I think we all want the same thing. We all want to be generous. So here's what I want to do today. All I want to do is this. I want to give you five myths about generosity because all of us think of ourselves as generous even though most of us aren't. So I want to try to give you some myths about generosity to help dispel some of those myths. And then I'm going to show you what Jesus said. I'm going to give you a definition of generosity based on what he taught. And then I'm going to tell you a story, give you something to think about as we walk out of here. That's all we're doing, okay? You're going to walk out with more questions and answers. I'm not addressing how to be generous today. I'm not addressing the steps you need to take. We're going to get to all of that over the next couple of weeks. Today, I just want to get you to think. So let me start with this. There are five different myths that I see and I hear a lot when it comes to generosity. 
And I know that they're myths because I have been privileged as I've grown up over the years to be around some very, very, very generous people. Not necessarily rich people, but generous people. And these, you know, the income level didn't matter. The income level's been all over the map. But some people who knew how to be generous at the core of their being. And I feel very fortunate that those people have opened up their lives to me over the years. And they have let me see how they think. And they have let me see how they behave. They have let me see how they view their money and manage their money differently. That's enabled them to create and develop a generous heart. And so over the next couple of weeks, I just want to begin to show you or share with you some of the things that these generous people have taught me. And a lot of it's related to the myths that we all believe. So let's just roll through these real quickly. Myth number one is that generosity is reactive. Generosity is reactive. Or another way to say it is it's spontaneous. That reactive generosity looks like this. Or reactive giving looks like this. Well, I heard about this need or somebody told me that so-and-so was in trouble or, you know, they showed me a video or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I saw this need and I just felt like I should meet it. You know, it's like sometimes it's random acts of giving. Sometimes it's just one-time acts of giving. But part of the reason we all feel like we're generous people is because we do that really, really well, don't we? You're probably a pretty good reactive giver. Matter of fact, we live in a culture that is built on reactive generosity or reactive giving. In other words, Americans, we're just known for this. If there's a need and it's, you know, an urgent need, Americans are going to step up and they're going to give money and they're going to meet that need. You are, at least in our community, you're kind of famous for this. It's one of the things you're known for. Because whenever I stand up here, we just did it a month ago, right? I stood up here and said, hey, let's be extraordinarily generous to our community. Let's give to all these nonprofits. You gave, again, this year, you know, last month, you gave nearly $64,000 back to our community. You did it in a day. I mean, it's unbelievable. You're incredible at this. So it's, I'm not saying it's bad. But just because you're good at one-time giving or you're good, you see a need and you meet it, or, you know, you're reactive, yeah, it's kind of a random deal. Okay, that, that doesn't mean you know how to be generous. That doesn't mean you're actually a generous person. See, one of the things I've learned from generous people is this, that generous people are proactive givers. They're not reactive. They're proactive, which means, and we'll talk more about this over the next few weeks, but it means they're intentional about it. It means they're systematic about it. It means they come up with a plan. It doesn't mean they don't do the reactive stuff. It doesn't mean they don't see a need that they didn't know was there and decide to write a check or to give some money or to meet it. But here's the thing about generous people. In most cases, not in all cases, but in most cases, generous people have been so proactive that they've actually planned and come up with a system to set aside an amount of money for those spontaneous moments that they don't know when they're going to come. They just know they're going to come. I mean, that's how proactive generous people are about their generosity. It's very different. It's not reactive to them at all. It's very proactive. Here's the second myth. That generosity is determined by cash flow or income. We have all said this at some point. We have all believed this. You have had a moment, I have too, we've all had a moment where we were asked to give or we saw somebody do something and we thought, you know what, I just can't do that now, I just don't make enough money. But one day, if, or one day when, you know, we all hope we'll be making more money in the future than we are now. So one day if or one day when I have more money, then I'm going to be generous, then I'm going to support that, then I'll write a check for that, then I'll consistently support. You know, we, we all think it's based on cash flow or income. And I just don't quite have it now, but when I have it, I'll do it. Or when I have it, I'll do more of it. I'm just telling you, it's not true. It's not true. 
I've watched people with all, of all different incomes and cash flows who have practiced principles of generosity and learned how to have a generous heart. I have done it myself at all different income levels from below minimum wage all the way to, you know, whatever I'm making now. I could, all through there, these principles work no matter what. It has nothing to do with cash flow or income. As a matter of fact, I will predict your future for you, okay? When it comes to this, I can predict your future for you. Here's the reality. When you have more, you do more of what you're doing now. This is so true. One day, because we all hope it happens, I hope you all make more money this year than you made last year. Well, one day, when you have more, you'll do more of what you're doing right now. You will. Whatever it is you're doing now, that's what you're going to do. In a year, in five years, in ten years, it's just true for all of us. Because generosity is not about income. Generosity is about our heart. And generosity is about the habits we put in place in our lives. Here's the third myth. It's the amount that counts. It's the amount that counts. We have all believed this. And this really, this gets us fooled a lot. This fools us when it comes to other people. We watch people who are, hear about people who write a check and because of the number of zeros on the end, we're like, oh my gosh, they're so generous. Well, maybe, maybe not. You have no idea. We fool ourselves with this. I, I have watched this happen so many times. You, and some of you, you've had this experience where you, you weren't really proactive about what you were giving. You just gave here and you gave there, a little bit here and there, you know, or whatever, and you, just, you didn't really think about it too much or plan ahead. And then you got to the end of the year and the tax season started rolling around and you started getting these giving statements from different places wherever you gave. And you looked at the number on the giving statement and you did not say, oh my gosh, that's so incredible. I'm so excited I gave that much. And I, this sounds bad, but let's be honest, we've all done it. You looked at that number and you thought, oh man, what I could have done with that. It's like, did you know we gave that much? I didn't know we gave that. No, we should not. That's irresponsible. We should not give that. We could have gone on a vacation for that. You know, it's like, it's because again, it's different for everybody. I'm just telling you, the reason you have done that is because there's some amount in your head I don't know what that amount is for you. It's different for everybody. But there's some amount in your head, and you feel like, well, when I hit that amount, then that's generous enough. If I go above that amount, whoa, that's just so much money. I don't think I should be that generous. It has nothing to do with the income level you have. It's just a, an amount that you feel like, well, when I hit that, well, you're a pretty generous person if you're giving that much, and I'm giving it, so that's good. This is not true. It's a myth. The reality is this, that amounts don't measure generosity. Percentages do. This is why you can get fooled by somebody, and this is why you can fool yourself into thinking you're more generous than you are. Because it's not about what amount you gave. It's about what percentage of my income am I giving away to help someone else instead of using it for myself. And your percentage may be really small, but that amount's big enough you feel very, very generous, which is why when I said we're going to talk about how to be generous, you thought I got this one figured out already, but it's not about amount, it's about percentages. And I'll tell you this, if you don't know, if you don't know what percentage of your income you gave away last year, odds are you do not know how to be generous. You just don't. Because it's not about the amount. It's about being proactive about a percentage. Here's the next myth. That rich people are generous, or at least rich people are supposed to be generous, right? Um, rich people are generous. And you, the people who have so much money, it's never us, is it? Like, we're not the rich people. It's people who have more than us. And those people who have more than us are the ones who really should be writing the checks and funding all that and helping those nonprofits, you know, doing this and doing this. It's all about the rich people. Well, let, let me just, a couple things about this. Number one, 
if you work in the nonprofit world, you know this. You know this. For the rest of you, this is going to be new information. But being in the nonprofit world my entire life, one of the things I can guarantee you is this, that people who live like they're rich rarely give like they're rich. They do. People who live like they're rich rarely give like they're rich. It is not the rich people who are generous in our culture. It's just not the way it works. The truth of the matter is this. Rich people are as generous with today's riches as they were with yesterday's riches. It's just what they, they do what the rest of us do. They do more of tomorrow what they're doing today. Now, here's, here's the irony of the whole thing. The irony of the whole thing is this. You don't, you don't feel like you're rich, but you are. You feel like you're generous, but you're not. That's the irony of the whole thing in our culture. Again, I don't want to argue this with you, but, but you're rich. I mean, we all are. Good grief. Just, you've already hit the lottery, okay? I know you want to be richer. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but you've already hit the lottery. You live in America. You eat and live indoors. You know, you, most of you have a car. You get to drive places. Some of you are so rich, you not only have a roof over your head, but you built a roof to go over the head of your car. You're thinking about that. We call it a garage. It's like a mini house for your car. Like how rich do you have to be to build a house for your car? We, you know, again, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying we do it. We, we pay people money to fix our food and, you know, go out for a night. And I don't want to cook. Do you feel like cooking? No, I don't feel like cooking. Let's just go pay somebody to cook for us. You know, like we are rich, but none of us think we're rich because we, this is just normal for us, you know. But compared to the world, I'm telling you, we've already hit the lottery. We're already rich. You don't feel like you're rich, you are. You do feel like you're generous. Because, again, the things you do around giving are the things that are normal in our culture. And so because we do what everybody else does, we're like, well, yeah, we're all generous. Like, we're Americans. I'm generous. You know, but no. We think we're generous. We're really not. Here's the next myth. That time is a substitute for money. That time is a substitute for money. I cannot tell you how many times somebody has looked at me and said this. Well, I'm, I can't give my money or I'm not going to give my money because I give my time, Matt. To which I say, well, who said that? Like, who made that up? Who, who made that rule? And they want to say Jesus, but I'm the preacher, so they don't really want to argue with me about Jesus. I win those most of the time, right? So, so they're a little scared to go there, and they're like, I, I, don't know who, I don't know who said that, but that's just a deal, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. The truth is Jesus never taught this. He never taught this. It's, Jesus never taught what's either or. You can give your time or you can give your money. No, no. He taught it was both and. It was both and. Now, depending on what stage of life you're at, some of you, it's very, very hard for you to give your money, but it's really easy for you to give your time. So you choose to hold on to all your money and try to give some of your time and say, well, I'm being generous. And yeah, you should be generous with your time, but that's very different than being generous with your money. Two different things. Some of you, you have so much money, and you know, some of you can't fathom this, but some of you have enough money and have enough margin and excess, it's just easier for you to write a check than it is to give your time. But he, so again, you're kind of, you kind of reverse it. Well, I got to write a check. I just don't want to be generous with my time. No, it's, it's both and. It's both and. But for the next few weeks, I want to talk about how to be generous specifically with your money because Jesus talked about this. And you may not realize this. Jesus talked about this more than he did the subjects of heaven, hell, prayer, and faith combined. Now, why in the world would he do that? Not because he needed anybody's money. Jesus never took up an offering. Jesus talked about it so much because he understood that this area of whether you develop a generous heart or not, it reaches into every single arena of your life. 
that your money, your money impacts your relationships, your faith. It impacts you personally. It impacts your career. It impacts the choices you make day in and day out. It impacts your parenting if you're a parent. It impacts your dating if you're dating. It just, it reaches into every single area of your life, but it is so invisible, none of us seem to see and realize that it's doing it. So Jesus taught something very countercultural when it came to generosity. The Apostle Paul, maybe you've heard of Paul. Paul started a church in a little city called Ephesus, and then he left and went on to start some other churches. And years later, uh, Paul knows his life is about to come to an end. He's about to go to Rome. He's under, um, uh, under guard by the Romans. He's imprisoned. He's been transported to Rome, and he knows when he gets to Rome, he's probably going to die and have his head chopped off by Nero, which is what eventually happened. But on his trip to Rome, the Roman guards allowed him to pause and meet up with the leaders of the church in Ephesus, these people he hadn't seen in quite a while. And he has this one final farewell, okay? You can imagine how emotional it was. He knew it was the last time they'd look at each other face to face. And Paul's giving them some final words of advice, if you will. And he begins to talk about generosity. And in the process of it, he quotes something Jesus taught that Paul had probably been told by Peter or by James or by Andrew, one of those guys who was with him, John maybe. And here's what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 20, what Luke tells us Paul said. This is Paul talking, and he's saying to these Ephesian leaders, and everything I did, I showed you by, that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. We, must, we work so we can be generous, in other words. Remembering the words of the Lord, the Lord Jesus himself said, and then he quotes Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So you've heard that. Some of you have said that. You didn't even know Jesus is the one who said it first. It's from him. You're quoting him. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, can we be honest for a minute? We read that, and some of you got that hanging, you know, and piece of art in your house or whatever. We read that, or we see that. We think, yeah, it makes us feel good. But the reality is, if we were honest, and we really thought that through, we would go, mm, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, I'm happy when I give, but I'm happy when I receive too. And, you know, kind of just came out of that season of giving and receiving. And if I were honest, I think maybe I, maybe I was a little happier with what I received than what I gave. You know, it's like it, this, is, this is a little bit countercultural to us. But Jesus isn't talking about in the moment. He's not saying, you know what, the minute you give something, the minute you receive something, you're going to be happier about what you gave than what you received. That may or may not be true for you. But what Jesus is saying is this. That what you do when it comes to your money, the way you manage your money, the way you view and think about your money, and the kind of generosity you practice or do not practice, it has a compound effect on your life. And that over time, there is a significant difference between a lifestyle that's based primarily on receiving and a lifestyle that's based primarily on giving. Basically, what Jesus was teaching us is this, that happy is the person whose life revolves around giving rather than receiving. Happy is the person who has learned to order and revolve their life around the habit of giving instead of the habit of receiving, which goes against everything in our nature. But Jesus said not all lifestyles are created equal. And that if you live giving here and there but never learning how to be generous, you will never be as happy as somebody who does the opposite. So, when he talks about giving, what does he mean? Well, let me give you a definition. It's a, it's a definition that basically sums up a lot of what Jesus taught that's recorded in the Gospels when it comes to money. And this is not a definition that's original to me. I learned this from somebody who 
taught me some about generosity. It's a little bit clunky, you know, but it'll, it'll work for us today. Here it is. Generosity is the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. Okay, we're going to do a quiz at the end, so y'all pay attention, right? It's like, no, I don't expect you to remember this. It's a little clunky, but here's what I mean by that. This is so important. When you talk to generous people, you discover they think so much differently than the normal person about money. For generous people, generosity is premeditated. That means, as I said before, they are very intentional. They are very systematic. They figure out how to create a plan and come up with a plan for their generosity. Let me tell you what every person who's learned how to be generous did in the last month. They sat down and they had a conversation about how do we want our generosity to look in 2018. Every generous person I know does this. Okay, we're coming up on a new season, on a new year. This is going to be premeditated for us. It's not going to be reactive. We're not just going to react to whatever opportunities come our way and, well, they ask and they ask and they're selling cookies and, you know, it's not none of that. Nothing wrong with any of that, but they're very intentional. Okay, in the next year, they've already had this conversation, the generous people have. What do we want our generosity to look like in 2018? It is premeditated. Secondly, generosity is calculated. Not only do generous people have those conversations, but they calculate and figure up, usually based off of percentages, exactly how much they want to give away. They decide we're going to give this percentage of our income away, and then we're going to save this percentage, and then we're going to spend this percentage. They decide that in advance before they get the first paycheck of the new year, or before they get the next paycheck in the next season they're going into. I'm telling you, generous people just think about it entirely differently. They know, if you ask them, how much money are you going to invest or give back this year? They'll be able to tell you pretty close to the dime, what they're going to do. It is calculated. Third, it is designated. Not only do they know how much they want to give away, but they know where they want it to go. If they're Christians, they have prayed about it, and they feel like God has directed them on where they want it to go. But they have designated where it's going to go, including that reactive stuff, those spontaneous opportunities, those things that pop up you didn't know were popping up. I'm telling you, generous people have a little pool of money on the side. They've set aside for just those times. I mean, they're like, yep, that's for those opportunities we don't know yet are coming. They designate where all of it, they're very intentional about where it's going. Now, the word I love most about in this definition is this word emancipation. That's a premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. You know what emancipation is? Unless you can remember back to your history class, you're like, mm, I don't. Emancipation just means you're going to free it and let it go. It's like I'm opening up the cage, I'm letting the bird fly. Generous people think so much differently about their generosity. They believe that generosity emancipates or frees them from their own assets. And the reason they believe that is because Jesus taught it and they have experienced it. See, here's what Jesus taught. That when you free your money, you free yourself from your money. This is what he taught. When you free your money, you free yourself from your money. Which is why one time when Jesus was teaching, he said, I don't want you to try to serve two masters. In other words, I don't want you to have two things that control your life. you got to choose between one or the other. It's either God controlling your life or your money controlling your life. That's what he picked as the other thing that could control your life. God or money. Why? Because Jesus knew. And it's so hard to see. It's invisible. We don't even, because we live in a culture where it's just normal, we don't even realize it's happening. But Jesus knew 
If you don't learn how to be generous, money will control your life. And it will show up in the way you relate with others. It will show up in the strength of the quality of your family dynamics. And it will show up in the choices you make with your career. And it will show up in your faith or lack thereof with your heavenly father. That it will impact you personally, spiritually, and relationally. It controls, if you're not careful, if you're not intentional about learning how to be generous, it controls every single area of your life. It just does. Now, again, none of us see this, and if I ask you, do you think money's controlling your life, you would say, absolutely not, I don't have that problem. I'm telling you, most of us have that problem, and we don't realize it. Some of you, the way you know money's controlling your life is because you are so obsessed with saving, 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 investing, 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 that you do it at the expense of relationships. You do it at the expense of generosity. It's just save, 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 invest, invest, invest. If somebody messes up your plan, somebody spends, you know, causes you to have to spend money on something that you didn't, it was just like the end of the world, you know, it's such a big deal. And you get, it's not that saving or investing are bad. It's just that you're so intent on hitting a number. It's a number that's so big that you're going to run out of life way before you ever run out of money. But for you, it's all about security. It's all about hitting that. And it's controlling your life, but you don't realize it. You think, you say you're being prudent. You're being wise. You're being, you know, being a good steward. You're just, you're being a good money manager. Some of you, it's the opposite. You, you consume and spend everything you make. Some of you are, just think about this, some, some of you are actually paying interest on things right now that are going down in value. Now, I don't mean to offend you, but that's just stupid. That's just stupid. If I came to you with a plan that said, you know, this costs X amount, but I'm actually going to pay this amount even though it's only going to be worth this amount by the end, you would tell me, well, that's dumb. But why do we all do that? Well, you do that because it's normal in our culture. And you do it, again, because it's normal, you don't see this, but money's controlling your life. That's why you make some choices like that that don't really make, well, can't you just save up and pay cash? Yeah, but then I wouldn't have it right now, all right? I'm telling you, money controls our lives in, some, in ways we don't even realize. If you, uh, if you spend a lot of your time thinking about money, it's controlling your life. If you spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, I don't think I have the money for this right now, but I really want it, so how do I get enough money to get that? Money's controlling your life. If you have fear, anxiety, stress, worry, money's probably controlling your life. If you're discontent, materialistic, if you have no plan for how you're going to give, you just have a plan for how you're going to get, money's controlling your life. I'm telling you, it happens to all of us. It does. And it's because it's so normal in our culture, we don't think twice about it. It's just, well, it's just what everybody does. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you, and this is what Jesus would say. It is having an impact on every single arena of your life without you realizing it. And you have problems over here relationally. You have no idea that how you view money is having, uh, contributing to that. You have problems over here in your career. You have no idea how you're viewing money is contributing to that. You're having problems in your parenting. You're not realizing that how you view money is contributing to that. You're having problems in terms of your faith. You just don't feel like close to God and where is he and I'm, you know, I'm not growing. And you don't realize that has something to do with your money because it's great at hiding. It's great at being invisible. But Jesus knew it. And that's why he said, hey, when you free your money, you got to learn how to be generous. When you free your money, you free yourself from your money.
Now, real quickly, let me tell you why this is so hard. This is so hard because this requires a countercultural approach where we let go of control and we trust our Heavenly Father. This is why it takes so much bravery to do this. This is why it's so difficult and it's why so few of us ever actually learn how to be generous at the core of our being. Because it requires us to trust God in a way we just don't want to trust God. It requires us to believe that everything that we have, it's not ours, that it's a gift from him and it's just on loan to us. Well, I don't want to believe that because if that's true, then I can't do whatever I want to with all of it. I've got to figure out what he says to do with it. I don't want to even go there. You know, if we're Christian, we don't, we don't want to acknowledge that. And it requires a lot of trust and a lot of courage to say, you know what, I'm going to believe this and I'm going to do something that I don't see very many people do and I'm going to trust that in the end it's going to work out better for me. Now, if you're not a Christian, the good news for you is you don't have to do what Jesus said how to do. You want to be generous, you can figure out your own way to try to become generous. But for those of us who are Christians, Jesus was very, very clear about here's how you need to view and manage money because it's not yours, it's mine. I gave it to you to manage and here's how you manage it so you learn how to be generous. Because again, the end goal for God is not, I need your money. He doesn't need any of our money. The end goal for us, for him, is that we have a change of heart. And we experience generosity. Because happy in the long run, in the long run, happy, contented, at peace, is the person whose life revolves around giving rather than receiving. But Jesus knew this was going to be tough. He knew this trust required a lot of courage, and he knew most of us would balk at it. You've all heard the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Well, Jesus said that. But what you may not know is the context in which he said it. Nobody ever talks about the context. Do you know when Jesus taught that? It was at the end of him teaching about generosity. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do to you, right after he talked about giving, and then he made this point right here. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, I know you're struggling. I know you're struggling to practice generosity and to become generous, but let me ask you, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? To which his crowds, like all of us, like, are you kidding me? Like that, obviously, that's ridiculous. None of us would do that. Jesus says, okay. Well, if he asks for a fish, who's going to give him a snake? To which, again, we're like, come on, come on. We're better than that. None of us would do that. You know we wouldn't do that. Jesus says, okay, that's my point. Of course you wouldn't do that. So, if you then know you are evil, and by evil he just meant, okay, you're, you try to be moral, you try to be good, you're not nearly as moral and good as God, you're not even close, you're not nearly as moral and good as me, you're not even close, okay? So, you know, if, if you then know you struggle with morality and goodness from time to time, if you still know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? This is Jesus' way of saying, why in the world would you ever struggle with trusting your Heavenly Father? With your money. Do you think you're more trustworthy with your own child than he is with you? Do you think you're better and have more goodness towards your own child than he does with you? Do you think you've, you've got better plans for your kid's future than he's got for you? To which we all have to go, well, no, I don't, I don't think that. But yeah, I kind of do think that, which is why I hold so tightly to what matters most to me. My money. Jesus is saying, no, you got to let go. you got to learn how to be generous. There's a much better way. There is a way for you to manage your money where you're free from your money 
and you experience peace and you experience contentment, you're happier. You're happier. And your life is better when you let go. So why wouldn't you trust your Heavenly Father? If you're that good to your kids, why would you think for a second that he's not going to be that good to you? So then, right after saying this, he said, okay, now do to others as I've done to you. You be as generous with other people as I've been generous with you. Now, as I said at the beginning, I've been fortunate over the course of my life to know a lot of generous people, and um, these people have been kind enough over the years to open up their lives and to share personal things with me and to let me see how they learned how to be generous, to let me see how they live and how they manage their money and how they think so differently about money. And I'm going to share with you a lot of the stuff I've learned from them over the next couple of weeks. But um, I decided early on that I wanted to try to test this for myself, that I wanted to try, this was early on in my life, that I wanted to try to apply these principles and see if they really did work. And if it really was true, that happy is the person who orders their life around giving rather than receiving. And if it, if it really did free you in a way nothing else could. And most of all, I wanted to see if I did what God said to do with money, could he really be trusted? And so I started practicing these principles. And I kept practicing and kept practicing them. And when I was single, I did this and I did a lot of different things in terms of generosity. Just trying, honestly, I was just trying to figure it out and test it and see if it was true and see if it worked. And every time I realized it was. And then I met Jen and we got married and we had conversations as we were getting married about, okay, well, how are we going to approach money as a couple? And how are we eventually going to approach you know, money as a family? And so we talked this through, and we decided these principles that I'm going to share with you over the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to live this way. And it's not going to be easy, and we don't know many people around us who are doing it, but we just think it's a smarter, better way to go. And so we started practicing them. And every year, we still do this. I mean, we just did it a few weeks ago. Every year, we would sit down at the end of the year and put together a plan, and the first question would be, okay, how much money do we think, for us as Christians, do we think God wants us to give and we'd come up with it and figure it out and then how much do we think he wants us to save and you know so we would actually pray about this stuff and then talk and figure it out and put a plan together for the year but there are points and if you follow jesus for any length of time you know this is true there are points that come where uh, and i think god may do this on purpose i don't know but there are points that come where you just have your faith or your belief and your trust in him tested and that's when you really learn what you believe and really learn how much you trust and for us as a married couple, that came about five years in. Everything was fine until about five years in, and, and we got pregnant. Technically, Jen got pregnant. I stayed slim. We got pregnant, you know, and she, we found out really quickly because of some stuff that uh, she had going on, it was going to be a high-risk pregnancy. And I, I am, and if you're in a relationship, you know typically one person's like this. I am the nerdy, geeky, let's get the spreadsheets out and have a plan for everything guy, right? So... So I began immediately figuring up, okay, well, how's this going to impact the budget and how much is this going to cost us? And if it's a NICU stay, then what's it going to be? And we got to get prepared and we got to save up. So I got my spreadsheet. She could care less about any of this. But I got my spreadsheets, you know, and, and I'm, I'm figuring it all up. And I get it all figured up. And sure enough, we have Ellie and it's a NICU stay, but it's a short one. It's not a big deal. Everything goes really well. It's a little expensive, you know, more expensive than you think. If you had a kid, you know, like you're trying to figure out with that first kid, how much are they going to cost? And you just need to multiply by 10. Whatever number you come up with, just multiply by 10. That's a start. So, 
So, you know, we figured that out, and we had Ellie and, you know, all this. So we, we, had enough, we had enough money saved to be able to cover all the medical bills. NICUs aren't cheap. We covered it all and had great insurance, thank goodness. So we, we got through all of that, but it completely wiped out our savings, um, completely. I mean, all the way back, if you do the financial piece, we, our savings were all the way back to baby step one. You know, it was like we had very, very little left. And we were going to have to start from scratch right there. So, but we had no debt. We had no debt, and God had provided everything, so we were really grateful. So then, I, uh, being this, you know, the numbers geek that I am, I create a new spreadsheet of, okay, how long is it going to take us to rebuild the savings, you know, all this jazz. So, so I'm building all this and figuring all this out and telling her, and again, she's like, okay, honey, it's fine, whatever, you know. So you just, you just let me know when we get there. So we're, we're figuring this all out and we're doing this, and um, I, I knew how long it would take, so we're working on it, working on it, working on it. And uh, Ellie was born in April. In December, the last week of December that year, our offices were closed. But I was in the office doing some work. And I'll never forget, I got a phone call. And uh, it was Jen, and she sounded really, really urgent, really, really urgent. She said, you need to come home now. And I'm like, well, what is going on? It kind of scared me a little bit. And she's like, you need to come home now. And I said, okay, I will come home now, but you have to tell me why I'm coming home. What is going on? And she said, I'm pregnant. And I said, I'm coming home now. I want, we, I got to get my spreadsheet out. We've got to, you know, no, no, no. I was excited. So, so anyway, so again, that's eight months after this, right? This does not fit into the window on the plan that I had put together. So we went to the doctor and found out really quickly, this is going to be another high-risk pregnancy. And uh, if, if the baby survives, it was a, uh, a good chance that he wouldn't. But if he survives... Um, you're going to have a long NICU stay and all this. We can't predict when he'll come, but it's going to be way early. So, so we knew all that. So we walked out, and, you know, spoiler alert, he made it, okay? He's, he's terrorizing some people in takeoff right now. But, but this was four years ago. So, he, so um, we, I started again with my spreadsheet. I'm like, okay, I know how much this is going to cost, and it's not going to be cheap. So, and I know where we are and where we got to be, and we don't want any medical debt. So how are we going to get there? And so we rework our budget, and we do all this, and, and this was our moment. This is one of our moments, okay? Because I remember we sat down, we had a conversation. And we had just, again, it was the last week of December, so we had just had a conversation about, okay, for 2013, how much do you think God wants us to give and, you know, all these things. And we thought we knew what he wanted us to do. And now, now this surprise to us, not to him, but this surprise was thrown at us. And so we're going, okay, well, um, let's try to figure this up. And I figured it up, and there's no way to make the numbers work. I'm pretty good with numbers, but there's no way to make these numbers work. There's no way to get there to the number we've got to get to to pay all the bills that I know are coming our way. Uh, and depending on how early he comes, the worse it gets, right? And it's less time to save. So I, I got to uh, May, and I had a number. I said, I remember telling Jen, okay, if he comes in, <laughs> some of you ladies are like, thank God I'm not married to him. Because I was like, if he comes in May, here's how much we're short. If he comes in June, here's how much we're short. If he make it, makes it to July, well, we'll be only short this much, you know, and that was, that was the best case scenario for us. So I had all of this figured out, and I'm like, babe, there's just no way to, there's no way to do that. And again, it was, do we cut? Do we cut? Do we cut? We could cut our giving. Because we're giving more than, you know, 10%. We, we, could we cut, our, we cut our giving? We could get to that number. That's a conversation we had in, in December. It's a conversation we had along the way, and we kept saying, nope. Because we just think God's telling us to do this, so we're going we're gonna to trust him. We're just going to trust him. Whatever happens, happens. But we think he wants us to give like this. We're not going to stop giving just to take care of our own needs. We'll just, we'll just trust him to do it. We'll be wise, but we'll trust him. So we did. And... Um, in May, 
James was born in June, in May, one month before he was born. Uh, I got a phone call. I'll never forget it. I was driving. I'd just driven into our garage. The door just closed. I hadn't even gotten out of the car yet. I get a phone call. It's a number I didn't know. Normally, I don't answer those, but for some reason, I picked it up. And the lady says, hello, is this Mr. Johnson? I said, yes. And she said, uh, I'm so-and-so with your electric company. Now, when the electric company calls, that's never a good thing, right? Never a good thing. Not because they're not nice people. Usually, you owe them money or something. So I'm like, I know I paid my bill. What's going on? So she said, I, I wanted to let you know, we had bought a house four years before. She said, I wanted to let you know that uh, four years ago when you bought the house, we transferred it into your name. But before you had it, it was in the name of a real estate agent. And we had been charging commercial rates for the electric. And when it was changed into your name, nobody changed it from commercial rates to residential. So we have found this error, and we've calculated it up. And um, I just want to call and apologize and to let you know that we owe you money. And here's how much we owe you. And she told me the amount, and it was the exact amount we were short. And then she said... Would you like that spread out over the next several months of your bill, or do you want a lump sum check? And I said, you send me a check right now. I got a kid coming. Send me a check. And I walked in, and I told you, I, I, I said, Jen, you're not going to believe this. I was just laughing. I said, you're not going to believe this. Like, I have watched God answer prayers in so many different ways, but I have never in my wildest dreams imagined that he would use an electric company to create a four-year savings account to pay for my NICU baby. This is a creative miracle. This is amazing. But I'm telling you, listen, here's my point, and I'll wrap up. Here's my point. We would have never known God doing that in our lives. We would have never experienced any of that. We would have never learned how trustworthy he was. If we had just made a decision, you know what, we're, this generosity thing, we're just going to dial this back because we got our own needs right now. We would have never known that. Now, I'm not saying that's what you should do or shouldn't do. I'm just saying, when you listen to what God says to do about money, you experience him at work in ways you never would otherwise. So let me say this and we'll close. Imagine this. Imagine that somebody gathered up, calculated all the money you wasted last year. You know you wasted money on lots of stuff, like stuff you bought and it broke, stuff you bought and six weeks later you had buyers or more, stuff you bought that then the credit card bills start coming in. You're like, why did we do this? You know, all that stuff you bought that is still hanging in your closet with the tags on. Ladies, I don't know why y'all do that, but you do. You know what I'm talking about. So, so all the stuff that you, you've spent money on, it was just kind of wasted. Imagine if somebody came up to you and said, hey, I've calculated all that up, and I put it into an account, and I'm giving you back that money for 2018, but here's the catch. You can't spend it on yourself. You have to give it all away this time. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think you would be happier at the end of this year than you were at the end of last year? You better believe it. You know you would. You know you would. And this year you get to choose what you're going to do with whatever money God puts in your hands. And Jesus said that happy is a person whose life revolves around giving rather than receiving. So, next week I'm going to tell you what generous people, how they think differently than the rest of us. And I'm going to tell you what some middle school boys in our church told me about how we view money. If you have a middle school boy, you ought to be sweating it. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it was pretty incredible. And then the third week, I'm going to give you some practical steps. Until then, here's the only question I have for you. Is money controlling you? Maybe more than you realize. You think about that this week. We'll see you next Sunday. Y'all get out of here. See you at Love It Auditorium next week.